You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. God's Word and pray. So um, I'm, as you guys know, we started a series in 2 Peter, so you can go ahead and turn to 2 Peter with me. And I'm going to share just a few words with you this morning, and, uh, and we're going to open God's Word and worship Him, because worship is not just music. We know that, right? We worship when we give, we worship when we serve, we worship when we read God's word, when we pray, and when we preach. So we can do most of those things, and uh, we're going to do that this morning. So pray with me, would you? Father, it is good to be together, and uh, it is a bit odd. Lord, we recognize that. I'm grateful, though, that all that we're dealing with uh, is weirdness and oddness. Thank you that it's not any worse. Thank you, Father, that we can meet and we can worship you and we can gather. You've given us this fantastic facility to, in which to, to meet. And it's so good to just see uh, familiar faces and friends and spiritual family. Father, would you take this word? Would you minister to our hearts? And uh, Lord, I pray especially for our fellowship afterwards that it would just be awesome. Help us to reconnect. Pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, just look at verse 3 and following this morning, guys. And I want to share with you what Peter has, has written. And what he is telling us this morning is, is that we should never stop growing in our life. That we should always continue to be pushing on. That we should be more and more, not just beginning to follow Jesus, but be growing in, that, in our relationship with him and growing in what, with what that looks like. Truth be known, it becomes easy in our life to kind of become stagnant, right? You get things up to par and you say, good enough. And you just kind of, kind of coast and go along. Uh, that's kind of the way, you know, we've, Susan and I have been remodeling an old house, I think, for forever. And what happens is we, you know, you work up steam and you do the kitchen and you're just like, this is exhausting. Okay, let's chill. I think we can live with this for a while. Then you work up to do the next one right. And, and I think life can a lot of times be that way in, in our world. But Peter's challenging us to be careful that we don't become complacent, don't become stagnant, that we, we push through and we lean into the things that God has for us, not as a guilt trip, but actually because God has given us some, some incredible resources. And so he kind of lays a, a blueprint for us. So if you look, read with me the verse 3 and, and verse 4, and uh, read with me in 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says this, Talking about Jesus Christ, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." I want to give you three reasons that Peter outlines for us. This is, think about like an Oreo cookie, or sometimes, truth be known, if I had a long day and missed lunch, and if I got to go to Stewart's or Cumberland Farms, I, or fast food, I'll just go right to the chocolate chip ice cream cookie. That's okay, right? Because if you missed all those calories for lunch, you know? So think about this as almost like that. There's three sections to this passage. There's cookie on the top, cookie on the bottom, and the, the, the vanilla goodness in the middle. So the first part of this that Peter tells us is why we should continue to grow 
is that, that God has a powerful provision. Jesus Christ is given to us powerfully in our lives as followers of him. Peter says, he's like, look guys, he says, God's divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. So you get the picture. What our God has given to us, guys, is supercharged, supernatural, powerful. This is a promise that he has given to every follower of Jesus Christ, to a little child, to an old adult, and everyone in between. This is not something that we ask God for. God, could I have more of this in my life? And this is not something that we're trying to gain. It's not something that we seek. Peter says he's already given to us. We have at our disposal today all that we need as it relates to life and godliness. All that we need. You see, this is where the sufficiency of God meets our insufficiencies as people. This is where God's unbelievable, superabundant, overflowing richness of His grace and empowering in our lives meets your and my inadequacies, meets our deficiencies in life. Sometimes as Christians, it's easy for us to, we feel our inadequacy. And if we're not careful, we can begin to build in and, and, and like we're like a scarcity mindset, like a, a mindset of we just, well, I don't, I don't have what I need and I can't get this done. And we, we're almost looking at the glass half empty and not realizing that from God's perspective, he's like, look, I've given you everything that you need to live your life, to live your life spiritually before me, to, to carry out and to make your way in this world. You've already got it. And what happens sometimes is it's almost like God has given us the keys to the Ferrari and it's sitting in the back, you know, and back in our garage and it looks nice and shiny. And we're, you know, there and we're like, my car is broke, not that one, but my other car is broken down. I can't get out. What do I do? And the problem is, is the reality is, is that we're not willing to step out and learn how to drive a stick and go enjoy that which God has given us. He's like, I've given you all that you need. And living your life before me and living your life effectively, and, and you, you've got what you need. So the first thing I want us to realize, guys, is that God's given us a, a powerful, powerful provision. As, uh, as we've looked at this, and some of us talked about this passage earlier a week or so ago, this passage is not designed to put you and me on a guilt trip. In fact, it's the opposite. Peter is reminding the people of some things that they had forgotten, that they didn't realize that already at their disposal was the, the incredible provision of God. Now, if you, you notice, though, that this Peter's really intricate in what he writes here, and we don't really have time to, to unpack every little nuance of this, so let me hit a couple of key points here. But he says that God gives us all that we need for life and godliness, living on our focus in Him, spiritually growing, all of that. And it comes through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. This is a, what God does is he's provided for us what we need, but he does it in relationship with him. It comes not just, it's not that God establishes a relationship with us and now we become his, you know, he's our benefactor and we just get the goodies, if you will. It's not that, well, now I have somebody that I can go to and I can pray who will provide for me. What God does is he establishes a relationship with us and it's that knowing him, it's that actual relationship that we have with him that, that it's through that that we are provided all that we have and all that we need in our life. Not just physical things, but his, our relationship and our knowing him personally is what we need in life. Think about it this way. When you and I face difficulties, 
Let's go to, to an easy one. Husbands and wives, when you face difficulties at home, you don't just have a challenge together of you figuring out what you need to do, where you need to be, and where you've blown it or not blown it, or navigating all of those things. But you actually have a challenge in front of you of knowing God more to help you walk through that. You see, if God's provided all that we need for life and godliness, and He's provided what we need as parents, He's provided what we need in our relationships, He's provided what we need to know how to navigate work, He's provided what we need in, in every, every area of life. But He does it through our relationship with Him. So when you and I face problems and challenges, we need to realize that it's an opportunity that God is revealing himself to us and that the source of what we need to navigate all of that and to work through all that actually comes through knowing him more because he's called us into, into his glory. He's, he's summoned us into that relationship to live out our life experiencing his glory, experiencing his nature, experiencing his His excellence, his moral and, and life virtue before us. And our whole life is wrapped around that. You see, the, the Christian life, I mentioned this somewhere in the last couple of weeks, it's not primarily a set of rules to follow. It's not even a set of beliefs to believe. It's not a value system to adhere to. Our Christian life before God is a relationship. You and I fall on our knees before holy God and we get to know the God of heaven and our life is lived out with that. It's not primarily a, a lifestyle that we adhere to. Yes, there are things that we do and there's ways that we live and there's things that we believe and God calls us to obey. I'm not dismissing any of that. But it seems to me the longer that we're a Christian, if we're not careful, we begin to make our life built around those things more than we do the knowledge of a, and the relationship of a holy God in heaven. You see, our life every day should be about that. It should be about knowing Him. And as we live out our life focused there, then you and I have all that we need to meet the challenges, to meet the, the, the opportunities, the callings, the things that He has in our life. They all come from there. So Peter, as he's writing to these people, he says, guys, God has abundantly and richly, amazingly blessed you in your life. He's blessed you. Don't miss that. Don't forget it. Because what he's done is he's called you to himself and he's called you out of the, the, the sinfulness and the wickedness and the corruption that lies in this world. That's the other piece in these verses that I want to point out. He, he does this. He's given us these promises so that we can partake of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That word corruption means an internal decay. He says, guys, look at this. You were once in this world that was rotting from the inside. And the God of heaven has called you out of that. And he's, he, you are partakers of his pure, of his nature, of his holiness, of his glory. And he's sharing all of that with you. And he's called you out of all of that. If you go into the woods very much, if you like to hike or whatever, you, you've seen birch trees, right? Beautiful, bright white bark and just, just stunning trees. And uh, days gone by, our Native American uh, forebears would make birch bark canoes because the bark on the, the birch tree is waterproof. And you could seal the seams and, and it was absolutely waterproof. 
And sometimes if you go in the woods, sometimes, look, you can see it, a beautiful birch log that, you know, a tree that's died and fallen over. And it looks absolutely perfect and immaculate until you go and step on it and you realize it's completely rotted because it's waterproof on the outside, but on the inside it's rotten because it rots from the birch trees rot from the inside out. By the way, if you burn firewood, you got to split the birch tree, especially because it won't dry out. It just seals all that moisture in. That's the picture of what Paul or Peter is telling us. He's like, look guys, this world might look good on the outside, but it's rotting from the inside. And God inside of your life has saved you out of that internal corruptness that rots away and eats away your soul. And he has pulled you into a relationship with him, one of purity, one of holiness, that he can share with you all that he has to offer. And that's awesome. We should celebrate that this morning, that the God of heaven has profoundly and powerfully provided in our life in the middle of the relationship with him, all that we need to live our life. That's the first thing I want us to recognize. First reason why we should never settle, why we should never settle in our relationships of our life, why we should never settle in, in any area and just say good enough, that we want to experience God's nature in our relationships and our, our marriages and our children and our, and our workplaces, that God wants to, to, in every one of those arenas in our life, for us to experience the power and the presence of His nature in the middle of that, and we should not settle. Second thing I want us to recognize, reason why that Peter challenges us to not just to settle, but instead to grow. And he says, now based on these things, since these are true, here's what you need to do about it. This is what he says in verse 5. He says, for this very reason, make every effort, not a little effort, not once in a while, but work hard, lean into it, push with all you've got to supplement your faith with virtue. Now notice the way he writes this. He builds these things like Legos, kids, right? So build on your faith, build onto that block virtue. And onto virtue, add knowledge. Onto knowledge, add self-control, he says in verse 6. And self-control with steadfastness, enduring, not just a patient putting up with something, but a, a, a stable enduring. Add that steadfastness. To that, add godliness. And with godliness, brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. Peter says, because God has given you all of these things in your life, here's the roadmap to your growth. Second reason for us to continue to grow and lean into this is because it's a reasonable responsibility messed up life. All of salvation is 100% of God. That's the only thing that we provide in that equation. Everything else is God's. God does the saving in, in, in our entire life. But when it comes to your growth and mind, God does the heavy lifting, but we have a responsibility. And he tells us to lean into these things, and we are responsible to add these things to our life. We're not, we shouldn't just sit back and lean back and coast on our life. He does the heavy lifting, Think about driving your car. You drive with a car. Can you buy a car today without power steering? Everything that I know is new. It's got at least power assist, right? You know, the old long days are gone when you could have, you know, arms of a gorilla because you're, you know, cranking on that wheel. But you know what that's like when you're 
you don't have power or your car's not running or whatever and you try to crank that wheel and just, you know, until it locks. It's much like that. God does the heavy lifting, but he expects us to, to turn the wheel. He expects us to participate in that. In, in the second, I just read, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but if, take an example, self-control. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. God gives us self-control, but here he tells us to add self-control to us. So he does the heavy work, but he says, do something with it. Lean into it. Now, I want you to notice a few things about these steps. Some of you guys are into to exercising, and you probably have your game plan, right? When I, when I was much more foolish in my days, and I used to run, right? I'm wiser now. When I was a child, I thought like a child. Now I'm an old man, and I don't think about such foolish things. You know, you would, you would have some days that were easier days, and other days would be your more mild days, right? And if you're getting ready for a race, you would run faster and harder, and you'd have a game plan. What Peter is giving to us is a game plan for how you and I are to grow in our Christian life. He's giving us a strategy. He's telling us, guys, if you really want a blueprint, like when you trust Christ, you're like, okay, now what? I, I leaned in, I received Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, now do I do? Notice he doesn't say, okay, just go to church, everything will be good. Ten prayer meeting, everything will be good. Go to, go to a Sunday school class, everything will be cool. You know, He doesn't give us that. He says, all right, what needs to now happen is, is you, need, you now have that faith, that saving faith. You have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus and you are following him. Now you need, the first thing you need to do is you need to add virtue. These are here for a reason. God inspired for a reason, virtue next. And there's a reason that then God had put knowledge after that. When in the next Lego up, he said, put in self-control. There's a rhyme and a reason to these things. You see, when God saves us and we finally put our faith and trust in him alone, we are not virtuous people in that moment. We are not people of, of moral excellence. He saves us out of the junk in our life. And the first step when we trust him is he wants to start cleaning up some of those areas of our life. So Peter says, look, when you trust Christ, the first thing you need to add to your life ought to be some virtue. And as you, as that's what we talk about, life change, that God begins just cleaning up. I don't know what your experience is like. Well, I know what a lot of your experience is like because we've had conversations, but I, I've heard so many times people say, well, I, I just, I was so grateful that God saved me and I could feel that change. But you know, now I got convicted of some things. I didn't want to do this anymore. And it's a common experience that God begins taking those things away. Some of us have talked, you know, oftentimes people believe, well, I want to become a Christian. I want to know God, but I got to clean up my life first. No, that's not the way it works. Like you trust God and then God begins to make you virtuous. God then begins to clean up your life. But then Peter says, don't stay there just with that virtue. You need to add to that some knowledge. You need, to, you need to learn a few things. This knowledge is not just reading the Bible, it, it is that. Think of this almost like wisdom applied. What he's saying is, is that now that you've trust Christ, and now you're beginning in your life to have a, a nobleness, an honorability to you, and you're beginning into areas of your life, get cleaned up, you're not perfect, you still need to grow, and, and, and I'll talk more about how that works in us in a minute. But now you need to focus on learning some stuff and taking those things that you're learning and apply to your life. For people who've not been, you know, as they trusted Christ, especially if they trusted Christ as an adult, the, the older you are, the more that you've lived a very different worldview than what the Bible presents, it's almost mind-altering. 
to, to wake up in the morning to know there's a God I can trust because you've, you've learned how to live life a different way. You've learned how to live life as if God didn't exist or if God was completely different than what He really is, who He really is. And so as you learn, as you learn in that life, that those things begin to shape and affect everything about you. When couples trust Christ as adults and have been married, there's a complete relearning of how to do that. When, when families who already have kids that trust Christ, there's a relearning of how to be a, a parent that follows the Lord Jesus. We trust Christ. God begins to work on our life to get more noble. Then there's a knowledge. And as we learn those things, then the next Lego brick on that pile he says, get some self-control. Now that you've learned some things, now that you know some things, you got to get control of yourself. All of us, without the Lord Jesus, are absolutely out of control. This word is, is originally, it just means self-mastery. It means getting you and me boxed in, getting our lives back inside the lines, for the first time of our life. You see, there's a reason why knowledge becomes before self-control. You can't get self-control before knowledge because you don't know how and where you needed to get control of yourself. You've got to learn and know those things in the life that God's calling you to. And once you know those things, God's now, okay, now that you've got that, okay, it's time you start getting your life together. It's time that your issues become much less emotionally, lifestyle things, habits, and things that we've gone to, other ways that we've tried to cope and things and mechanisms that we've trusted in in life. We begin to learn and realize that, oh, I'm not actually living in faith in that area. I'm actually feeding my, uh, something else, my sin nature, whatever. And as we know those things and begin to get that wisdom, then God says, now you got to focus on self-control. And then from self-control, what's the next step? See how these build? With self-control comes steadfastness. Now that we know we need to be a little more self-controlled, then we need to endure. That's where you, if you're an exercise person, that's where you, you really begin to build the muscle. If you're a runner, that's where you begin to really put on your mileage to where you know what it is to run through some pain and to go through the, the challenges and the hardship because God's trying to grow us. And he says, and to adding to that endurance so that you just don't cave at every little thing. You know, I, we're in the middle of remodeling our house. It, it, it figures, you know, I had, I had to replace two windows, actually a, a, a slider door that was so rotten when we pulled it out, the frame like itself like stayed and the, <laughs> the glass went with it, right? You know, oh, that's why we've been feeling a breeze in there the last couple of years. And, uh, but I couldn't do it when it was like 20 degrees or 30 degrees. So we're sitting around all week long like you guys, no place to go. And I'm like, I can't put windows in because I'm not making these two huge holes in my house right now. So now that it's finally warm, you know, now that we're beginning to be able to do more stuff, I'm right in the middle of just crazy remodeling. So when I put these new glass windows in, I doubled and tripled and was just careful to seal all of that up and take care of it because I don't want any more rod and water penetration. I want, want my windows to not just look good day one. 
I want them to endure. I don't want to ever have to deal with these ever again the rest of my life. That's what God is trying to do in our life as Christians. That's why young Christians, when they get saved, they're so glad to know Jesus. But then later on, like, whoa, this is getting hard. What God is doing is putting some, some endurance, some challenge into your life so that this isn't a little passing thing. This is a faith and a relationship that's going to go forever. It's not an odd thing. It's not a bad thing. It, doesn't mean, it actually doesn't mean that God, not only does it not mean that God doesn't like you or love you, it means that God loves you so much. He's trying to build you and make you strong in your faith. And then to steadfastness, add godliness. This word was same earlier. It's a hard word to translate, guys. This means the days gone by, we talk about like religion. But today, that's kind of a bad word. For us today, think of, it, think of this godliness like a Godward focus. Think of it almost like a spirituality, like a, a life with God. It means that, that we then, now that we're kind of enduring our life, that God is building into us deeply a focus on Him and our whole life, that our whole orientation is around Him. That doesn't start day one. That's something you grow into. And once you begin growing in that area into the godliness, then you need to add brotherly affection because you really can't start loving one another until your focus is upward to the God of heaven. And notice he starts with brotherly affection, a family that we should have for one another where we actually love and like one another, even with differences in our different backgrounds. And then ultimately the end game is to where, to where we love one another and love sacrificially the people around us. There's a progression. See, what God has done in your life is started you at faith and he's moved you along. This is really not just a linear thing. It's a sequential thing. Probably the best way to look at it is almost like a spiraling thing. Because God, for the rest of your life, is trying to grow you in this process. Now, sometimes there's a lot to be learned in this. You can meditate on it. We don't have time to think about it. Sometimes we focus on one thing here. And actually, the problem is not that one thing. It's what's before. So let's think about self-control. Oh, I just struggle with self-control, Sean. Sometimes we fixate on self-control. But you know where the real problem is? Our knowledge isn't quite where it needs to be. And we actually need to back up a step and fix that. It's like trying to build a house on a bad foundation. Sometimes we struggle. We're like, oh, I just really don't love people like I should. We'll back up. What's the one or two things before it? You see, there, there's a process in this. It means that if we look at this whole thing, it means that you and I recognize that when we not only were not a person of faith, before we really became a follower of Jesus, we really didn't even know how to love people properly. We didn't even really know how to have brotherly affection toward people. When we really follow Jesus, there's a reorienting of, of all of that in our, our life. You see, it's reasonable for God to want us to do this. This is, shouldn't be a list that we feel beat up by. Oh, I just, here's like a bunch of things that we need to do. He's told us this in a way, the way that we're to add one to another. This is not like the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace. This is just not a laundry list of things. There is a structure, a sequencing to this. And what he's telling us is he's saying, guys, you can do this. You see, if we, if we focus on the first part of this, the chocolate chip and the, the nice ice cream sandwich, and we miss the filling, if we just focus on the first part, then we're going to be lazy. Well, why isn't God, why am I not growing? God's just not doing this for me. I don't know. And sometimes, and I've done it, and you've probably done it too, we're almost getting into a funk. It's almost like we blame God for our, our 
lackadaisical attitude in life. And God's like, it ain't me. My dishwasher was out for a couple of weeks. I'm totally like turning my man card. The guy came to fix it. And he finally figured out it was a power problem. It had come unplugged in the, behind it in the counter. And I'm just like, I, I didn't even slow down enough to like even think about that being the issue. Like, seriously? That was all? I know. I'm, next, it's going to be calling tech support, you know, for my computer. Like, we'll plug it in, you know. I'll be like, I don't want to be that guy. But um, at, at the end of the day, the, the dishwasher guy is like, hey, I've done everything on my end. It's, this is on your end. And then we, kind of, we finally found it. That's what God's saying to us. He's like, guys, I've given you all of these incredible blessings. If there's something in your life that you're feeling adequate with, it's not me. It's you. So lean into it. But on the flip side, if we focus on all of this stuff, but miss that God has given it to us, we're going to make our life like we're on just some sort of performance. I got to do this. And not realize that God's doing all that. He's blessed us and put all of this heavy lifting into our life. These are together. God's given us what we need, but he wants us to lean into it and to grow our whole life. Third thing, and I'm done. Not only does, does God powerfully provide, not only is it a reasonable responsibility in our life to how we to go, and God's given, given us this blueprint, but Peter gives us some, some words of, of wisdom, a warning, a wise warning. He says this, he says in verse 8, For if these qualities, in other words, if this, these things that I listed, these things, these qualities are yours and are increasing, not if they've gotten to a certain level and you're okay, but if they are continuing to increase in your life. They're yours increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's a stern warning. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says, guys, I told you to lean into this. Don't take this lackadaisically. Don't. You need to apply everything you've got to this. Make it your focus. Make it your effort. Gut it out. Push. Because if you don't do this, if these qualities aren't in your life, you are trying to live your life like you're absolutely blind. And without a cane and not knowing how to make your way through when they're stumbling and falling. But if these are increasing in your life, you will be fruitful and effective in every way. You know what the encouraging thing is there? Sometimes we look at people as Christians like, oh, that person is so amazing. I wish you could be like them. Oh, they're so gifted. We tend to look at giftings and hold gifted people up as superheroes in the Christian world. By the way, we need to be very careful with superhero personality, culture in the Christian church. We lift up people way too much nationally in our world and our hearts, and it creates a lot of problems. There's only one person that needs to be lifted up. His name is Jesus, not you or me and not anybody else. He's the only hero worth having in our lives. But the Bible tells us if we are really leaning into this, that our, our world, we will be effective in our life, blessed. God's not looking for you or for me to be a particular superhero or to do this or that. We tend to value giftings. And what Peter tells us is, this is the stuff you need to value. This is the stuff that you need to value in your own life, that you are going to be 
completely accomplishing God's will and His plan and His purpose in your life. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for these qualities in our life, not for you to be somebody or do something beyond all of that. But if you will do these things, then you will be powerfully fruitful in your relationship with Him and is how you go about and live your life. If you don't, you will be living your life completely missing the top chocolate chip that God pulled you out of all that junk and you will be spiraling right back into it. Notice he says to keep increasing. See, that's why we never hit a plateau. It's not like a certain level that we level up to and stay. Think about it like this. I planted some maple trees in my yard. Actually, I planted a bunch of maple trees in my yard and those that survived the lawnmower are doing great. I did that 15 years ago and they were little guys because I was too cheap and didn't have enough money, right? You either have time or money. And if you don't have a lot of money, you gotta be willing to have a lot of time. If you've got a lot of money, then you don't have to put any time to it. You just pay somebody to do it, right? Like I, so I usually have more time than I have money. So I had a lot of time. So I bought little dinky trees, really cheap, cheap little, little guys. Now they're, 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 like, they're almost legit trees. Like birds can land in them, you know, and if they're really willing to risk, they can make nests in them, you know, like they're getting up there. They're almost legit trees, almost. Trees and their strategy don't say, okay, I'm going to focus on the next 10 years of my life to just put down a big root system. And then the next 10 years, I'm going to have a nice big trunk. And the next 10 years, I'm going to finally get a bunch of leaves. Think about this. Your whole life is just going to kind of process constantly running from faith all the way through, adding more and more virtue and excellence, adding on more and more knowledge to where you learn how it is to follow the Lord Jesus and what He wants you to live morally and ethically in life. And then from that, now that you learn it, hey, it's time to exercise a little self-control in that. And if you don't exercise self-control, you can't move on to the next level. Think about it being in the class and it, and it constantly is just going to increase more and more and more. You're going to run through this. I believe there's a lot of ways to look at it, but I believe there's seasons of life of these as well. And I believe there's little, every little lesson you go through, you're going to run through this grid your whole life. But this is a pattern of growth that God has for us. I'm so convicted as pastors. Sometimes they're like, somebody just got saved. We need to dump a bunch of knowledge in them. And Peter's like, no, you really need to start with some virtue first. And then if we give them knowledge, we need to think about how to help them with self-control with that. Like we are responsible as we grow people. There's so many things in here for you and for me. But the warning is this. If we don't lean into it, there will be areas of our life where we become blinded and we stumble about. I'm going to finish with this story and I'm done. A couple of years ago, I was, uh, I won't tell you which state because I know I'm not trying to stereotype any, any state, but it, it was down south. And I was, uh, I was visiting in a church, small, small group of people in a church that was built in the 1800s. And uh, they, were, they were wanting to help start churches uh, up in our area. And specifically, we, we partnered them with Poughkeepsie uh, to start a, a church there in, in that city. And so we walked inside, it was an old building, and it, you know, it was, you could tell that it was kind of stately and had been around a long time, and it was kind of tired, it needed a new carpet and some work, and, and I saw a balcony up in the back, and uh, we were just kind of talking in the front there, it was, a, it was a Sunday night, or Wednesday night, I don't know, I don't remember, but there were maybe 10 or, there were like 10 or 12 people in the whole church, all right? So think really small group of people, and um, in a room about this size. And the guy turns to me and said, you, said, you see that, that balcony up there? He said, yeah, that's not a balcony. He said, that's a slave gallery. And I tell you, it 
was like, you remember the ice bucket challenge? Like I felt like somebody just dumped a bucket of ice water down my back. And I mean, like my whole night at that point was just shot. I'm like, what are you talking about? Now they obviously, you know, weren't practicing slavery. And I looked at it and it's like, sure enough, there's no way to get up to the balcony. The stairway was outside. So the slaves, this was plantation setting and still there. And I'm thinking, like, you people have got to tear that down. Like, there's no way. I, 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 it totally, totally quenched my spirit and just changed my whole evening. I kind of surreptitiously, like they were talking, I kind of pulled out my cameras. I wanted to show my family. I'm like, you know, kind of, I'm just like, yeah, look at this. I could not believe it. And I got thinking about that. I suspect the owners and maybe even the pastor had somehow talked themselves into thinking that they were forward thinking, that they allowed slaves to come worship with them in their building. I can imagine that. And I, and I wondered how many sermons they heard on about loving your neighbors yourself. And they would sit there and they'd see the hypocrisy. And I, I thought, how in the world could that church, and I don't know who the pastor was, I don't know the people and all of that, that in one area they could honor God, but in an area be so blinded by that. That's what Peter's talking about here, guys. Now, it's easy for me to point the finger. I didn't live in that world, didn't live in that day, but it was jolting to my soul. It was deeply, deeply troubling to me that night. I don't, I don't truly think I could pastor in that building. Like we would have to do something like tear it down and remove it or something. I don't know what, but I just could just, it was just too raw and too just like real right in front of me. What Peter's telling us guys is we're gonna face things in our life that we're not gonna know how to process. And we're all blinded to various things. Some of the conversation that's going through and around our country the last two or three weeks has some blinding things to it. And we need to listen and learn. Sean, are you saying you agree with this political movement or that statement? I'm not saying any of that. There's a reason Jesus didn't commit himself to man because he knew what was in man, the Bible says. And every earthly movement on this planet is gonna have some deep flaws in it. Honestly, transparently, river of life included. But we do need to be careful that if we don't take this seriously, we think, well, I've got nothing else to learn there. And what Peter's telling us is that no, the end game for us as our Christian life is to love sacrificially others. That's what Jesus did when the Bible says God so loved the world. That's the same word that he used here. It's God loving you and me sacrificially, not taking care of what was for him, but doing for what was best for us. And you and I, as we live our life, are gonna run into all kinds of challenges and decisions, and it's complicated to how all of that plays out in our world, troubling at times, and then troubling with our own life and our own world, and how, do we, how should we respond to our own kids as they're adults, and they're making these choices. And what Peter says is this, God's given everything we need. Have confidence and joy in that. Be careful that you don't start looking for substitutes and for truths and solutions outside of that. More and more in the Christian world, it's, you know, the Bible, we, we almost, we would never say this, but the Bible's not sufficient to handle what we need. And so we go looking elsewhere. 
That's dangerous. It's one thing if your dishwasher's broken, don't call me, call a dishwasher guy. But for everything and how we lead life, we ought to trust God and know that He's given it to us. And if we walk through this process, we'll have what we need to honor the Lord Jesus, to love people, because at the end of the day, that's what all of this points to, is a, a life with God and to loving others. That's what our whole Christian world is about. So church, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you. I want that to sober us, but want it to encourage us and to give us a blueprint. Lean into these things. I encourage you to take it home. Sean, that's a whole lot of stuff on that list, so do this. Find one thing in there this morning. You know what? I think God's trying to challenge me here. As I thought about that for me, I think it's on that love end of the spectrum. I'm not saying that because I think I've accomplished all the others. I just think that's where I am right now. And God's trying to teach me to love. But pick one of those things that you feel like the Holy Spirit's whispering in your heart. Maybe something else that's just jiving with you or whatever. But lean into that. Ask God to work in your life. Look up scriptures about it. Talk with somebody else. Read some things on it, but add that into your life because that's what God wants to do. Continue through. I'm going to pray, and then Dan's going to come up with our announcements. I know that's a little unusual. Truthfully, I'd really like to sing right now, but we're not going to do that. But let's pray and ask God to work in our hearts, shall we? Father, I thank you for Jesus who loved us and saved us, and I thank you that you've given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness that honors you. And Lord, at times that's challenging. Lord, at times that there's such joy and peace and blessing when I see that what you do in my own life, and then I get convicted where I need to grow some more. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us. You don't, not only don't abandon us, but you don't leave us just where we are. Father, thank you that you're blessings are so rich, your promises, the deliverance in our soul that we just truly don't fully comprehend yet. But thank you for what you've done. Father, I pray that every person here might find one thing that you want to focus in their life about. Perhaps some might be self-control, some might be knowledge, some might be godliness, some might be love, some might be enduring, just willing to endure difficult things because of you because of our walk with you. Lord, would you help us? Help us to be these kinds of people. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.